This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. My name is Rennie, and I'm the care pastor here at Christian Chapel. And I am delighted to be filling in for Pastor Chris Dow this morning. Um, we're going to step away from First, Corin- uh, First Corinthians, First Peter today. We've been traveling through that for our summer series, and we're going to take a look at a different portion of scripture. So the title for my teaching today is Keeping the Main Thing, the Main Thing. Now, the full wording of this phrase is the main thing is keeping the main thing, the main thing. The, right? It's a tongue twister. Um, so Stephen Covey made this phrase popular in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, I think we would all agree that this phrase really has a good meaning behind it, right? It's a great idea that we all want to go after. But I think if we would be honest and truthful, it's not, not often easy a thing to do. We don't just drift into this mindset, right? With so many different things pulling at us in this really fast and crazy life that we live in, and especially with the things that we're going through at this time in history, it's often hard to even see what that main thing is in our life, that thing that drives us and gets us up in the morning. And even though Stephen Covey may have coined this phrase, long before that, God was representing this in front of us over and over again throughout his word. And today we're going to focus on one of those verses that relays that meaning. It's in Matthew six thirty-three. But before we zero in on this one verse, I want us to read through the portion of scripture surrounding that to really give us a full flavor of what Jesus is telling us here. So would you turn to Matthew 6? We're going to begin in um, verse 25 and travel through through 34. Or you can look to the overhead um, above me. It's a bit long, but I really think it's necessary in order for us to really grasp the meaning today. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear or what shall we drink? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, these words of Jesus fall right in the middle of his sermon on the mount, and he is speaking to a large crowd of everyday, ordinary people, just like you and I. People who get up in the morning and have all kinds of cares and concerns and worries just waiting to jump on top of us and to fill us with anxiety. But for 
a lot of us who live in the Western world, part of the world, we really, these words really don't make much sense to us. Most of us have never needed to worry about what we're going to eat or to drink or to wear, at least not to the extent that this particular group of people had to. To really understand the weight of Jesus' words here, we need to understand that these needs, food and drink and clothing, were a daily reality to these people. Water and food were not easily found, and especially to the particular group of people that Jesus was speaking to, the very poor, they usually only had one set of clothes. So when Jesus spoke these words, he was facing a crowd where survival was a daily reality. They spent their days consumed with these concerns and worry. And because of that, church, these words were really hard for these people to hear. Now, it's really not much difference to where you and I are at today. It may not be food or drink or clothing, but we've got some really important needs going on in our world, especially because of the particular time that we are currently living in. We have financial concerns. We have career concerns. We have health concerns. And for you students, you don't even know what school is going to look like this year, let alone your sporting events and your social activities. And there's many fears and concerns that are just waiting to take root in our minds. And for some of us, I don't know about you, but I, I found myself that when Jesus continues to tell us in this passage of Scripture not to be worried or anxious, I want to scream, why not, right? I mean, it feels legitimate. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in our world. But one of the things that I really appreciate about the words of Jesus is that as you read and study the Gospels, you find that not only does Jesus command us not to do something, but he provides us with arguments and reasons as to why we don't need to do these things. And then he gives us a practical step of what we should do instead. It's a process that, that Jesus does all the way throughout the scriptures, and I just love that. So the main point of this passage of scripture is that Jesus wants us to be free from worry and concern and anxiety. Church, he's telling us here that we can travel through life without being hitched to worry and concern. That it's possible to be free of these things as we travel through life. But do you believe that that is possible? Now, I want to make it clear this morning, I'm not talking about a medical diagnosis of anxiety. I'm talking about worry and concern that originates from the worry and the stress, stresses of living in our world. So in this scripture, in this portion of scripture, Jesus addresses our anxiety six times. And then he gives us eight reasons or arguments as to why we do not need to live in drenched and consumed with anxiety. Jesus doesn't just command us not to be anxious, but he supports his commands and he shows us why we can live a life free from anxiety and worry. Now, because of our time this morning, we're not going to be able to, to journey through the reasons that Jesus gives, but I would really, really encourage you this week to just meditate and study that portion of scripture and look at the reasons why Jesus gives us. There's eight of them in there. But this morning, I want to focus on verse 30, 33. This is where Jesus gives us the solution to obtaining our freedom from worry. 
So Matthew 6.33 again tells us, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is Jesus' way of telling us that the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. And I really like how the Passion Translation writes this verse. So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and his righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less and important things will be given to you abundantly. Jesus is giving us an invitation here to really live the kingdom life. He's inviting us to actually do what we say we believe. He's saying, take all your concerns, all your worries, all these things that you have, and he's saying, put them over here for a little while. Let them rest and do this one thing. Seek the kingdom to approach life the way that Jesus did. He modeled it for us here on planet earth. There's other passages throughout scripture that tell, that tell us pretty much the same thing. That if you do this one thing, other things will fall into place. Psalm 23, one, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. When we make Jesus our shepherd, we know that our needs will, our needs will be met. It may not happen the way that we want it to, and it, it may not come about the way that we picture in our mind, but we have confidence that our good shepherd sees us, and he will care for us. In Matthew 6, verses 10 and 11, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We pray first for the kingdom of God to come, and then we receive our daily bread, our daily needs. Again, this is God's way of telling us that the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. He shows us over and over again throughout Scripture what are the order of our priorities in life should be. Now, we can try to put our kingdoms first, right? We do this all the time. We put all of our time and energy and we go after those things that we feel are important. And usually they're wrapped with all kinds of worries and concerns. But as we have been learning in 1 Peter, we are called to live as foreigners. We are called to live differently in this world. And in Matthew 6.32, Jesus tells us that we are not to live like unbelievers who go after these things, things that our Heavenly Father knows that we need. Now, these second things or lesser things, they're not always bad. In fact, a lot of them are really good things. It could be our marriages, our parenting, our careers, our jobs, our physical health. But Jesus is telling us here that if we seek his kingdom first, that if it has top priority, he'll meet our needs. And I'm telling you, in my own life, the greatest threat to the kingdom of God in my life is wanting my kingdom to come. And I'm sure it's the same with you. So when Jesus came, his message was, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. How that changes us, church, is that when we surrender our lives to Jesus and we enter his kingdom, we learn to trust him and to live in the kingdom. That means we bring our whole life, everything that we do, into dependency upon Christ. 
And now we can feel our anxiety and our concerns pulling at us, and we can, we can rationalize them in our mind that they can be first, but God is telling us, seek his kingdom first, and he'll take care of these. So let's talk about the word seek. I'm a, I've told you this before, but I'm a word nerd. I have to really know what some words mean, and seek was one of these for me. So according to the dictionary, seek means... Um, to seek something means to be absorbed in the search for something. The verb tense is seeking. It's a continual effort. You're looking everywhere for something. So let me ask you, if your parents, have you ever lost your child? Come on, there's got to be somebody out there besides me. Yes, it's a sick, panicky feeling. And if you can't relate to that, how about this? Have you ever lost your phone? So see, we can all... I mean, it's like the only thing that you see, right? Everything becomes second. It's just like a magnifying glass. That thing becomes magnified in your eyes, and it becomes enlarged, and it's the only thing you see, that concern, that worry. Everything fades to the background. It becomes the main thing. So this morning, I have a really extreme example on how Something that we can be so concerned with and be worried about can just blow up and just be this big thing that you can't see. Now, my husband's not here this morning, and he gave me permission to share. Um, it's a really vulnerable thing, but I'm going to share it with you because it's a great, just a great example. So this was shortly after 9-11, and my husband and I and our youngest son, Kyle, were to fly out to visit my stepdaughter in um, Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is just right outside of Washington, D.C., and we were going to fly into Reagan International. Again, this is right after 9-11. You know, the whole landscape of traveling had changed, right? I mean, everything was tense. Everything was on alert. I mean, security, everything was a big, big deal. So um, Dan went ahead and purchased, I think it was the only time he ever purchased our tickets online. And we get to the airport. It's Kyle's first plane ride. I mean, we're just really excited to see our family. So Dan and Kyle check in, I'm checking in, and Dan had put my name down as Rennie K. Bailey, and that's how you guys know me, but that's not my legal name. My legal name is Dorinda, and so the, the, the gal at the checkout counter, she's flipping out. She's thinking I'm not, I'm not the, right, the right person. She's asking for two or three forms of ID for me. My anxiety is starting to just, just raise inside of me, and I honestly cannot remember how we got it resolved. There was phone calls. I called my bank. They, she spoke to them um, to prove that, that Rennie and Dorinda were the same people, and um, she, she said she's going to let me go, go ahead and go through, but all I can think about is I'm not even through Reagan International yet. Again, 9-11, Washington, D.C., right? And then I have to come all the way back. Dan didn't seem too concerned about it, but we're going through. We're going through. He and Kyle are having a good time, and the security officer it walks me to um, security. There's a clear plexiglass, and this is before everything got high-tech. We were in Colorado Springs, so I'm doing the thing against the plexiglass. I got my shoes and socks off, and I lock eyes with Dan. He's sitting down with Kyle just waiting on me, and I'm sure my eyes were not filled with love at that moment. And I hear, and I hear, and I see the security guard lean over and say, Sir, this is going to be a really long trip for you. So we get on the plane. 
It was a small plane. There's three seats, and there's two seats on the other side. So I'm in the aisle seat, then Dan and Kyle. And again, Dan and Kyle are having a great time. They have no idea internally what's going on inside of me. And in all defense of my husband, in my early years, I was a registered nurse, and I functioned really well in high-stress areas like ICU and cardiac and ER. I just tend to thrive in those areas. And so he was used to me being in control. So they're sitting there. We're way at the back of the plane. You know, the very back bathroom is way at the back end. And people are coming in above me. And when I was younger, I had struggled a little bit because of some things that had happened with claustrophobia. So I've already got this worry, this concern, this anxiety that's starting to really turn here. And then all of a sudden, I'm pretty disgusted with the people that are trying to sit down because they're taking up my breathing space, my airspace. And the sides feel like they're caving in on me. Dan still has no idea what's going on. And I'm just sitting there. I'm probably looking somewhat normal on the outside. And then the stewardess gets in the aisle. She's doing her thing, you know, in case of emergency landing. And she points to the um, emergency exits. So I'm thinking, I got this. If it gets too bad, I can just go right on over there to those emergency exits and just rip it open and get some air moving through the cabin. I really thought that that made total sense to me. So I look at Dan and Kyle. We're getting ready to take off, and I'm thinking, and I, and I think I'm making sense, and I'm trying to explain to him what's going on internally. This thing was so big, I couldn't see anything, and I hadn't even thought to pray yet. This thing, this worry, this concern had just ran right over me, and it's all I can see. And I wasn't making a bit of sense to them. So I think, okay, I'm going to take care of it myself. So I'm way at the back. I see a stewardess way at the front. And Dan and I were talking about this. And I don't even think my seatbelt, our seatbelts weren't supposed to be taken off yet. And I take my seatbelt off. I'm heading to the front. Again, it's 9-11. If there would have been an air marshal on there, I'm pretty sure he would have taken me down the aisle about this time. I mean, I'm determined. I'm locking eyes with this little, cute little southern stewardess. And I get closer. Her eyes are about this big, and I probably look like a maniac. I'm having an out-of-body experience, and somebody is rashly telling me, Rennie, you shouldn't be doing this. And I lean into her space, her personal space. She hits the wall, and she's just standing there. And I say the stupidest thing I've ever said in my life. I said, ma'am, I'm having a really bad anxiety attack. Could I be the first one off the plane when we land? And she puts her hand on her hip and her little southern drawl. She shoves her finger in my face. And she said, are you sitting in the front row? And I said, no, (laughs) ma'am. And she said, get back to your seat and stay there. The whole cabin has heard this. This rational woman who's always, and it is the walk of shame. It is the walk of shame. Gets worse. I'm walking to the back. I really could care less that they all heard me. I mean, I should have been ashamed, but that thing, that concern, that worry was so magnified. Everything had been pushed to the back. And across from where we were sitting, there was empty seats. I saw my husband and my son move away from me to the other side of the plane like they were afraid of me. That thing had overtaken everything in my life. And that's why um, a few years back, I had the pleasure of going with Dieta to Cambodia. She pretty much held my hand the whole way. 14 and a half hours in a plane. But what I did in that moment, 
I had to pull out my, oh, and then I lean across the aisle and I say, Dan, will you pray for me? And his jaw was down here and he says, I don't even know what to say. This is a true, true story. So I pulled out my Bible, which I should have done in the beginning. I sought his kingdom. And even though I can laugh about it now and share it, it was pure terror inside of me. And all I could do for the next two and a half hours was read passages of scripture. You have not given me a spirit of fear, but of timidity and a strong mind. And I just got that wrong, I think. But you know what I mean? I had to read. I had to read those scriptures over and over again. There you go. So here's the deal. Even though it's an extreme example, think about some of the things in your life as we travel through here, the teaching today, and think about that, how that thing has become magnified in your life. Now, have you ever wondered why we have to seek the kingdom? Or am I the only one? Seriously, have you ever wondered why we have to seek the kingdom? Why can't God just reveal his kingdom where his kingdom is moving and then we could just jump right in and join him? That he could reveal um, his power and potential and we can see him and there would be no more doubts or no more questions. Why do we have to seek him? Apparently, seeking is really important to Jesus. We are commanded to seek God and his kingdom all the way through scripture. In fact, in Hebrews eleven six, we are told that he rewards those who diligently seek him. It appears to be fundamental to our walk with Jesus. What we seek or run after reveals who we are. I'm going to read that again. What we seek or run after reveals who we are. In John chapter 1, after John the Baptist has just identified who Jesus is, two of the disciples take off after Jesus, and he stops, and he turns, and he faces them, and he says, what are you seeking? What do you want? Jesus wanted to know what they are after. You see, God lets us choose what we will seek. He allows us to follow our desires and our wants. He lets us make the choice. Those places where we put our time and our energy and even those thoughts that we allow to consume us, he lets us choose. That's why we have to seek the kingdom. But if we seek it, we will find it. Jeremiah 29, 13 confirms this. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. That's his promise to us. We were designed by God to energetically pursue something, to put the entirety of our life into something. We were designed to seek God, to acknowledge and recognize his presence in everything that we do. So let me ask you this morning, what are you seeking? What are you running after? What are you aiming at in life? How do you position God in your life? Where does he fit in in your life? You see, what we are seeking pulls the rest of our life together. It connects everything. 
What we are seeking becomes first in our life, and everything else orders itself behind this priority. And here is a wonderful dynamic of the kingdom. Seeking God's kingdom first creates the capacity or the space for everything else. Jesus tells us that if we seek his kingdom first, all these other things will be added. Haven't you had those days where you really experienced this truth? I'm a, I know it's kind of sick and twisted, but I'm a Monday kind of a girl. I love getting up on Mondays. I love when the week is fresh and new, and I like having my Monday organized. And then you get a phone call or a text from somebody who really, really needs some encouragement today. They're asking if they could meet to process some pain that they're going to, through or they just need to have some encouraging words for Jesus. And then you choose to seek the kingdom. And you, you, you are all in with that friend. And then at the end of the day, when you get ready to go to bed, you look back over your agenda and everything has been accomplished and then some. This is one of the most powerful dynamics of the kingdom. Seeking God's kingdom first creates the capacity or the space for everything else. In the last verse of this section, Jesus tells us in verse 34, Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. We're to stay focused on our 24 hours. We're to live in our 24 hours. We're to be all in with those that we do life with. Jesus tells us that tomorrow will take care of itself. Today... He has provided enough grace just for today. Church, this is how Jesus lived his life. He didn't go through life stressed out, in a hurry, overwhelmed. He approached his life this way, and he's teaching us how to do that. Lamentations 3.23 um, really reinforces the grace for today. It tells us that God's grace and mercy is fresh and new every single morning. There's a great quote by Corey Tinboom in regards to worry. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength, carrying two days at once. It is moving in tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength and possibilities. So as we get ready to close this morning, I want to ask you a question that I've been asking myself the last couple of weeks. What needs to change for you today? Let's just take a little bit of time. You know, this is where learning and understanding really comes in when we just kind of linger and take our time and, and, and we're able to, to just think about the words that we've just read and heard of Jesus. Identify those places where all you can see is this one thing that you're just burdened with worry and anxiety. And your mind, you'll find that your mind will try to rationalize it, right? And try to say, but you know what? God understands this is a really big deal. No, no, no. His word is true. Seek first his kingdom and all these other things will be added to you. Now, 
for each of us, that can look really different. It's a really individual thing. For some of us, we've been coming to church maybe all of our lives. And we come to church on Sunday, but our life has been in high gear. We've had a lot of trauma. We've just been busy. But we've never made that time to actually surrender our lives to Jesus, to take that first step of entering into his kingdom. And maybe for some of us, we know that um, we've taken that first step, but you know what? That's all the farther we've gone. For you, it might be, maybe it's time to reach out to Pastor Chris about water baptism or being filled with the Spirit. You've had questions and nobody's addressed or reach out to somebody. Or maybe, you know, we're all called to be disciples of Jesus, learners of him all of our life. And maybe this might be the time that when we start up on our Wednesday evening classes, you get plugged into one. You make the time and space to grow. Or maybe... We need to get connected in home groups. I know when we were first here, I didn't come to home groups for a really long time, Dan and I. Our life was crazy. Dan was gone. I did all the excuses. It was one of the most beautiful things that we ever did was get hooked in with our home group. It helps you to feel connected. You grow in those really safe spaces. Maybe you've got trouble in your marriage. I know when I sit down with a couple, my first response is not to try to fix that thing, try to figure out the thing that's wrong between the husband and wife. What I want to do is get your attention about the kingdom. I want, to get, I want it to be that you search for the kingdom more than you want your wife or your husband to be doing a certain thing or letting go of something. Seek his kingdom first. Or you may be single and you have poured everything into a relationship. You, you, you want it to work. You, you just have been waiting all your life to get married. But in the process, you've pushed the kingdom back. There's so many different ways that each of us can have our priorities mixed up. And these are not my words. These are Jesus' words. We live our days. The days just go by, especially because of the time that we're living in. We're just filled with anxiety. So I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to take just a big, deep breath. Let his peace just move. Let the spirit move among us. Let's just don't rush him. Let him minister to you. And take that thing, identify that. You know, he's the, the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of comfort. Let him identify that thing that maybe is out of priority in your life. It's not to condemn you. It's to bring greater life into you. So, Jesus, I pray that the words that we have listened to this morning, there would be absolutely no condemnation 
that comes upon anyone in this room today or those that are listening. Holy Spirit, just highlight that thing that is just draining life out of us. And we, we just haven't even been aware of it. We've been all hooked into this worry, this anxiety, this concern. We've rationalized it in our mind. The fear that we have of living in this day. And Jesus, right now, we recognize that you are on the throne. And your spirit is active and alive on the earth. And you are busting through new places in the kingdom here on planet earth. And you're using us. So would your peace that transcends all understanding just wash over each person here and those who are watching online. We surrender everything, Jesus. And church, as the song plays, as the worship team plays this last song, I want to encourage you. If you want someone to pray with you, there's a, the prayer team is just amazing. There's so many things that happen back in that prayer room. Make it, um, go to it today. If you want someone to join with you in prayer, it's right out the back and to the left. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.